Ladies and gentlemen, what's good, y'all? It's Chris Gary, aka the Chillmeister. It's Andrew Benjamin, aka the Head Honcho, and you're listening to yet another edition of the We Are Rising podcast, your source for all things JMMA and the Rising Fighting Federation, or we just shoot the shit. You can follow us on Twitter at We Are Rising Pod, W E A R E R I Z I N P O D, all in one word, but you probably already know that by now. And again, we have another special guest, but he's one that you probably might already be familiar with right now. He's a man who is currently riding, if I'm not mistaken, a five-fight winning streak, if I'm not mistaken, four or five-fight winning streak right about now. (laughs) He is, yeah, actually, no, he is riding a five-fight winning streak. What the hell am I talking about? (laughs) Still, he's 5 feet 10 inches tall, 156 pounds with a 72 and a half inch reach, and he's a 30-year-old fighter from Las Vegas, Nevada, by way of Jefferson, Iowa, USA. He is currently one of the four semifinalists in the Rise in Lightweight Grand Prix, which will be continuing on New Year's Eve morning. December 31st, as he will be facing off against Tofik Musayev, while Luis Killer Gustavo and Patricky Pitbull Fiore will battle for the pride of Brazil and the chance to be knocked out by Mr. K. I mean, by this individual. I don't want to give away too much. But still, he's a man with a 27-6-1 record who is undefeated inside the Rising Fighting Federation ring so far 3-0. Please welcome, as I try not to be like the wizard and get the curtain pulled back on me, <laughs> Johnny Hollywood Case. How are you doing, sir? Welcome back to the podcast. Hell yeah, man. What an introduction. Thank you. You're good, man. Thank you. You're well, welcome. The first, the first question I have for you, Johnny, has been probably been asked a thousand times, but, you know, how do you feel? You, you beat uh, Toza in the first round? And now you're moving on to the semifinals. How does it feel for you? Oh, wonderful, man. Took it around the track. That's how I've been planning and never turned for it. And uh, we're just going to do that and handle my business and put it down and, and bring it to the title. I just want you to know, John, you sound a little bit, you're breaking up a little bit on your ends. Again. Yeah, um, it's okay. It feels good. I just feel ready and focused and uh, it feels. Like it, like I knew it would, you know. It feels like my preparation is uh, is just kind of panning out, and I, I see it happening just the way uh, the way it went. I have to also add uh, that you uh, unfortunately had the second uh, quickest finish out of all the um, out of all the lightweight matches. Unfortunately, Patricky Pitbull beat you by about five seconds with your fin- with the finishes. Damn it! Well, oh well, I guess that's fine as long as I finish him. You know, and they're keeping forward. Before we get into uh, Patricky, let's talk about your first opponent, uh, Tofi. Uh, any thoughts about your opponent? What do you think of him as a fighter? Uh, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on him? On him? He's a fighter, he's a pop of shit, he's a great kickboxer. Um, you, you know, like I, I feel besides the matchup, I love the matchup. He's a good, he's another fan kickboxer, and, uh, you know, I've 
been studying the film. I've seen it right now twice in uh, live. So, um, I'm ready. I love, I love the matchup, and I think it's uh, it's, uh, it's going to be it's going to be a good one. Hmm. Uh, with that said, um, what about the uh, semifinals? We have Luis Gustavo and Patrick Pitbull. Do you have a particular opponent that you want to face off against those two? Do you have pick between who you think will win between between them two? Uh, give us a few thoughts on the opposing a semifinal match. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I don't really care who, who it is on the other side. You know, I kind of uh, I do a lot of visualization. I've been seeing, you know, Pitbull kind of all the whole way, kind of a I think from the very first round draw, I think it was kind of apparent he definitely had the weaker set of the bracket. Um, so I kind of always assumed he was going to be in the final. But, you know, like, lately I've been, I've been doing a lot of visualization and shit like that. I kind of see, like, you know, Gustavo, always, he's always kind of been the wild card in the tournament. You know what I mean? I didn't know if he was going to uh, get past that first round fight either, you know. And, you know, he ended up dropping the kid with the right hand. So, you know, like, I'd be kind of confused about that guy. You know, he got the, he got the uh, you know, the upset, so to say. Um, but, you know, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter on that side. Hmm. Um, I just want to also talk a little bit about the DeSouza fight. Um, so, this fight lasted only 1 minute, 15 seconds. Uh, you finished him. What, what was it that, that got, that, that set him down to the ground? Was it, a, was it an uppercut? Was it like a, a, a punch to the eye? It's very hard to tell from the way that he goes for a takedown and you definitely hit him in the eye with something. What exactly was it that, that set him down to the ground? Yeah, man, it was so great. And now, when he, when he went down to the ground, he, he, yeah, he, he, he pointed to his eye. He was, he, and he was tapping, he was, Tapping the, the mat, uh, uh, and you delivered a soccer kick to him. That's when the referee stopped the fight. Um, did you think at all think that he was it was an eye poke, or he was trying to do like an eye poke thing? Because I think he said in the in the Ryzen uh, post fight press conference that it was an eye poke, or he at least it seemed like he implied that it was an eye poke that sent him down. It wasn't. I mean, people eye poke like I knew that. And, you know, I would have been. Sorry, John, you're breaking up. Could you say that again? Yeah, so I actually, I knew, I knew he was trying to act like it was an eye I knew, because I knew just why the front felt my fist land on, you know, on his eye. Like, I knew, he just be like, yo, that was a fucking fist, you know? Um, but my initial thought was like, man, this guy's a healthy, you know? This guy's a little bitch, we're going to barely hit him and he's out, you know? And, uh, and then from that time, like, I guess, uh, when I hit him, his, his whole video just went back and then uh, ended up fracturing his bosom bone. So, you know, Sorry, John, could you say that again? You said you uh, fractured, uh, it was a fractured over a bone. What was that you said after that? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, basically, he had a fractured Sorry, John, I apologize that you broke up, you, you're breaking up again. Yeah, I, I can hear. I hear it, it's going in and out. It, it sounds. Uh, it's like very staticky on your end, at least from what I hear. Damn. Okay. Uh, so this is what I say again. You're saying that it was a broken oral bone that sent him down to the ground. Yeah. So basically, I hit him with that short right uppercut as he was coming in for a takedown, and uh, he said that he said he kept for tapping out because he, uh, he everything was black, his vision was black. He, from my perspective, 
I just hit him with that uppercut and he fell down and he was tapping. I was like, man, this guy's a bitch. Like, I can't believe he's tapping out from a punch. Um, but then, yeah, later I found out that he actually had a fractured orbital bone and he had lost vision, so and that's why he was tapping. Gotcha, gotcha. So you, did, you, did you see that, know that he was tapping when he went down to the ground? Or was your focus, you know, just to, like, continue on, on continue pounding on him until the referee stepped in? Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't even notice he tapped. To be honest, I didn't know. I, he saw the ground was covering his eye. Which for me, like as a fighter, I know that's like blood in the water. That's the end of the fight. You know, if he's like, if I hit him with a punch, and he, his first thought is to protect himself and to fight back and to move. Then you know, I knew, I knew that I had to just jump on him at that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I also just want to ask as well, and before I, um, this will be the last question. Uh, the last question I asked before I throw it over to you, question because I started to lose my voice. Um, so the Owens offense that he basically got in on the uh, when this fight happened was he um he he pulled you into guard uh, or was trying or, or ha- I think he had you did he have your butterfly guard I think it was uh, initially yeah, he did. It, was yeah, it, was, it was a butterfly guard and then he tri- at first I thought he was trying for a triangle but then when I rewatched the video multiple times he was going for an omoplata. And I was really surprised by that because to go for an omoplata in an MMA match is something that's very, very unheard of. I think there's even been only one omoplata finish in maybe UFC history, um, probably less like ever, anywhere else. But were you surprised that he was trying for such a such a high risk move? To- no, I, I I had it on the set. He left that way, so he initially was going for the triangle setup. And yeah, I, I started stepping over, cutting that angle, and he had no choice but to go on it. And I ended up scrambling and putting the position of the uh, That's just that's just a result of me going with fucking high level grapplers all the time. Gotcha, where, gotcha. Where they're gonna go, you know? And uh, the triangle, you know, I, I made him made him make the triangle that was never there, you know. And Uma Pata was never there either because I knew he was gonna go for it. So yeah, you know, I was, just. Yeah, because if they get caught in the all plata, especially, you know, since you can't grab onto really anything besides the legs or foot, you probably have to be really, really dumb to, like, fall into that sort of trap. Uh, I think even even a, a white belt grappler would have even recognized what he was going for and he could easily get out of it, probably. Um, um, but, uh, uh, Christian, let me throw it over to you. I've asked so many questions. Uh, I want you to ask some questions to uh, Mr. Hollywood. Okay, but I'm pretty sure that mine's will be a little bit miscellaneous. First of all, <laughs> yeah, I mean, first of all, when you made your entrance to the Rising Ring, you came out to a song called Icky Thump by the White Stripes. Now, when it comes down to this particular song, is that like your go-to theme or have you actually entered the ring of the cage to other songs before coming out to the White Stripes? Yeah, so I've actually changed it, but I usually stick it for a good, a, a, the evolution of my career. So, for instance, like when I was in the UFC, getting into the UFC, I always came out to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know what I mean? Like, I felt like that was like a good like a good a vibe to my soul of that kind of the person I used to be like that my mindset when I like to fight you know what I mean um, mm-hmm. I think even my, uh, my my New Year's Eve song I was still with uh, the Chili Peppers uh, when I fought Hachi and Rising when my first Rising fight but then it just that song wasn't really really doing it for me anymore it wasn't really putting me in the mindset where 
where I wanted to be for, for this kind of stage in my petition, you know, where I really thrive. So I, uh, I, I sort of decided to change it up with a little, uh, white stripe sticky dump because that, uh, that bass that they got going on and the, and, the, and I, I don't know, is it a saxophone or something they're playing, some horn that they're playing in the background that just gets me going, man, gets me in the, gets me in the mood to hurt somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get what you mean, man. But when it comes to, you know, any future entrance themes, unless you don't want to, I mean, unless you want to stick with Icky Thump, I mean, depending on where you plan on going with the rest of your career, whether it be to Bellator, you know, to a full-time stint in the PFL or what have you, I mean, have you thought about entering the ring of the cage to other songs or just sticking with Icky Thump? Uh, I mean, just, I, I mean, after all, I, I'm almost positive before I'm done fighting, I'm going to switch it up again, but, uh, yeah, I don't know, it just kind of feels like, like, uh, this chapter of my fight career, you know, like, <laughs> Icky Thump's what, what gets me going to the cage, you know, it's kind of how I want to, what song I want to represent my, my, uh, my art, so to say, I guess. <laughs> like that, that's my moniker for the the fight, the performance I want to go have, you know? Mm-hmm, understood. Another thing I want to ask, and I know this might sound a little bit near and dear to your heart, but, of course, as you know, the master behind Extreme Couture, Randy Couture, he just suffered a heart attack recently, but he had enough wherewithal to walk himself down to the hospital as he suffered that heart attack and now he's currently in the ICU at the moment and he's hopefully gonna make a full recovery but I mean what are your thoughts about Randy Couture not only as a trainer as a former world champion but as an individual oh man I mean Obviously, the guy's got a heart so big, you know, can't, heart attack can't even shut him down, you know, and he's what a tough guy at that, you know. Apparently, he was working out at his gym uh, in, in L.A. at Unbreakable, and uh, he was working out and started having a heart attack, and I guess he finished the workout, <laughs> he walked to the hospital, and uh, from what I hear, yeah, he made it to surgery, and uh, yeah, I think he's home now, resting. I think he's home now with his family, so oh, uh, I just saw Ryan. His son put something on his social media, so, um, yeah, I mean, fucking, it's how scary. I'm sure, you know, a heart attack's no simple thing. I'm sure he's probably going to have a road recovery out of him, too, but, you know, if it's anything like he's lived his life up to this point, it, it ain't nothing but a little bump in the road. So, yeah, super glad to hear he's, he's okay, and, man, you know, it just goes to show how, how, how fragile life can be, you know, and you just live this to the fullest every day. I will I would like to believe that he was working out while he had the heart attack, and he just said, no, I'm not going to just interrupt. I'm going to finish my workout first, then I'll go to the hospital. I have to believe that that's something that Randy, that that's actually what happened. Yeah, I just can't. He's like, ah, I'm not going to bother with this. Fuck it. Yeah, no, I'm just going to go to the hospital after I finish these 10 reps. <laughs> exactly. I mean, um, one which I have thinking, been... you know, I'm not going to go down like no punk bitch. I'm just going to keep fighting it. And then when I feel something really serious, I'm going to go down and get help. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hard to say. Yeah, like, you know, anybody who knows Randy, he's got, you know, he's tough, fuck, tough, 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 a two-time world, you know, how many, two world titles, weight division world title, you know, world title holder, and fought the best of the best, and was in the military, and, you know, just a tough-ass guy. So, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so that question I have for you, Johnny, is you you can potentially be fighting two twice in one night at Ryzen 20 uh, for this uh, lightweight Grand Prix. Have you ever fought more than once uh, in the same day for any sort of uh, MMA um, fighting? No, but I, I did train for it with the PFL. Um, and uh, it, it's... Uh, Actually, so I, I, I only fought the first round of that, that tournament, and then um, so I didn't advance from the format. There was a two-round draw, mm-hmm. and the winner was so, so I never got to fight two, two fights one night, but um, I, I definitely trained prepared for it, and I know I'll be ready. It, it sounds like win or lose first round, we will fight twice in one night anyway, which is rising uh, uh, semifinals and finals. So from the sound of it, everybody... In the tournament, Pitbull, Gustavo, me, and Tofik are going to fight two fights. So, winners fight winners, losers fight losers. So, Wait a minute. Oh, are they really and... planning? I mean, I don't want to try and break spoiler here, keep it on the down low, but is it really true that they're planning on a loser's bracket fight as like a third place fight, a consolation fight? Yeah, that's what I've heard, man. That's what they're telling us. So. They told me anyway, so... Mm-hmm. So, uh, if you talk about visualization, uh, and I, I know a little bit about it, but I'm just sure to know, is that something that, that, you, that you've come to uh, apply to your training regionally? Is this something that you've, I don't know, I don't know if you deal with sports psychologists, is this something that, that you've talked about them? So, how does this whole visualization of your fights come into play? Uh, it's kind of something that I've always known in my career, but... Uh... You know, like in the beginning, it was more or less like, um, you know, you play out these scenarios in your head, you know, and sometimes they'd be good, sometimes they'd be bad, you know, but it just keep playing out these situations until the nerves and your preparation, until the nerves of the fight are kind of numb because you've just thought about it and over with this, all the scenarios in your head, good and bad scenarios, you know. Um, but then just throughout my career, I've learned that, you, you know, I can kind of control these thoughts and control these emotions and you know, and, 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 and like you, as much as you want, that sounds good, you want to visualize only the good things that are happening, but there are, in the times where I'll kind of visualize, like, not winning fights, or like times where, you know, I visualize, and my visual, I'm like, man, that's kind of fucked up, why would I think negative, or why would I think anything other than the best, but then it kind of always played out that way, too, so I was like, damn, maybe there's something to this, <laughs> you know, so... Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I try not to like let it absorb my, or, you know, overtake my life. But yeah, I always try to. But after I train and have really good, uh, you know, training sessions and feeling really confident and, and knowing that I'm on the right path and just applying that emotion and how I feel and you know the kind of confidence I'm carrying myself by it, and I'll just I'll just visualize and think about the outcomes that uh, I see fit and that I believe in my heart. You know. We have a question. We have a question for a fan on Twitter. Uh, I can't read what the Twitter handle is because it's in Russian, I think. But the but the Twitter, I guess, um, at uh, is at Evel seven zero four. He has multiple questions, so I'm just going to go through um, one by one. Um, he asks, "How often are you in Japan?" Uh, basically, I'm only I'm like only for my flights. You know, I get to Japan like three days before the flight, and then um, sometimes I stay a day or two afterwards and then come home. So, just uh, just been a, a in Japan, you know. Uh, so I kind of answered the next question: How long do you stay before and after each fight? Oh yeah, just 
did before and Bears are after that. Gotcha. Uh, what, about, um, what about when your flight is done? Do you stay in, uh, after you do your, the press conf, uh, the, the post-press thing, do you go back to your hotel? Do you stick around uh, in the arena? What do you do after your, your obligations are done? Yeah, basically, I try to go out to the arena, and but the fans in Japan are far none, man. Like, they'll wait hours just for an autograph and a picture. So I always I, I try to make sure I go out there and I meet as many fans as I can and take as many pictures as I can and find as many autographs as I can. And then, uh, you know, when the event's done and they're, they're finally kicking everybody out and they're putting us in the bus to go back to the hotel, then, uh, yeah, just go back to the hotel with my team and you should go out for dinner and just, yeah, kind of hang out, see, see what the night's. You know, let's see where the night takes you. Just kind of mm-hmm. meet some locals and get some food and just kind of hang out, you know? Next question that he asks is financial ups and downs to the Ryzen model versus UFC. Oh, dude, Ryzen got it fucking, for sure got that shit picked out. Ryzen's way better. They mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, UFC is like, versus like most people, most promotions in the world, they pay you uh, half of your money to show up and fight, and then if you win, you get the rest of it. You get another half of it, right? Well, Ryzen just pays you everything up front. Like, here's your money, win or lose, go perform. Like, you know what I mean? So the way that Ryzen pays, it makes way more sense, you know, for professional athletes. It's like, yeah, they want they want good performance and they want winners, but at the same time, that's a lot of stress to get into that ring, you know? You got a mortgage due and you got a fucking family to feed, and you're like, Man, all I got to do is win this fight, you know. I, I got, you know, I only get half my money if I don't win. So that, to me, promotes a fighter that's going to go out there and, and uh, you know, just you got to win, whether they're going to wrestle you down or, you know. Pretty a lot of stress. Where it's like, I know I'm going to lose. All I got to do is go out there and put on a show and just perform and do what I've been doing in my fight camp past, you know, eight weeks. Like, hell yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, to me, that motivates me more. That, that kind of pays care. Does Ryzen have some sort of, uh, like the UFC, do they have like a performance bonus or do they just have like a straight finishing bonus or anything of that sort that you can uh, tell us about? Yeah, it's basically, it's, it's, uh, it, it, every guy is paid different. I can't speak for everybody, but for me particularly, it's, uh, it's just a finish bonus. So if you finish the fight, you really pay more. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, that's always good to hear. That's always good to hear because you've always heard, you know, UFC, you know, hey, you might get a finish, but you know what? Don't guarantee you that uh, that uh, fight of the, uh, the performance of the night bonus, unfortunately. Um, and the last question that he has is, how does it feel being in the unique position of being an American star of a Japanese promotion? Man, it's awesome. It is awesome, you know. Uh, like I said, the fans are the best fucking fans of of anywhere I've ever fought for. Japanese fans are just, they're so respectful and, you know, fighters, uh, in their eyes, uh, you know, like the, the highest, highest calling is the, that's the, you know, most revered thing in the world as far as, um, you know, like in America, we're like NBA or NFL or, you know, to guys like that. But Japan is fighters, so, you know, it's an offer a better promotion and a uh, better fan base. Hmm. <laughs> now, speaking of the Japanese fan base, who are pretty much the most respectful fans in all of this world we know as combat sports. What's the one thing that our crazy-ass American fan base, or even the fan base of the Western Hemisphere, can learn from Japanese MMA fans? 
Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. But when Uh, it comes to the American MMA landscape, though, they can, you know, do all this, that keyboard bullshit. They can basically say, you know, oh, this guy's nothing, or this girl is nothing, but yet they wouldn't last three minutes in a fighter's world. They wouldn't last three minutes lacing up a pair of gloves or tying on a pair of i mean basically lacing up gloves or tying on some tape or anything like that they wouldn't last three minutes in a fighter's world least alone so I, I didn't i didn't even go as much to invite him to a you know to a woman's jujitsu class like, come on in dude put some fuck put a gi on and do with these fucking little ladies you know what i mean like choke you unconscious ten times you know hmm. Yeah, you might complain about the fact that that 99-pound woman got knocked out in eight seconds, but she'll probably make you tap out and cry like a little girl. Yeah, exactly. I have a question. I'm curious to know, John. I'm always interested to hear this from MMA fighters. Has there ever been a point uh, when uh, when you started as a professional MMA fighter where somebody, I don't know, let's just say you're at a bar, then they just overheard or knew that you're MMA fighter. Like, you got into some sort of fight or or something because somebody wanted to challenge wanted to challenge you and they thought they could uh, kick your ass. Has there ever been any sort of story or anything you could tell us like that's ever happened to you? Oh, uh, no. Kind of like when I was young. You know, like when I so when I was younger I, I was like a college age. Like I just graduated high school. I had a couple chances to wrestle in college but instead I decided to go fight. I decided to be an MMA fighter. So around that time, you know, that was kind of the lifestyle I was in, I was kind of college age, you know, going to parties all the time, like, uh, you know, and, and I wasn't on the wrestling team, you know, and I wasn't on the football team, the guys would see me at the party and they'd be like, man, this guy's kind of carrying himself like, you know, he does something, you know, so usually it'd be like, like a football player or like, uh, you know, like another college wrestler, um, that, and, you know, that I'd, I'd usually get picked out, you know, and, and have shit start with me, but that, you know, not since I was... 22, 23 years old, has anybody really tried to fuck with me too much? Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever heard, um, ever read Jens Pulver's uh, or ever heard him say, apparently one of the ways that he used to treat himself was that he would just go to bars and pick fights with people and be like, oh, look at this little guy. This little guy thinks he can beat me up and he would kick the shit out of people that were two or three times his size. And he would do that as a way to practice um, before his fights. Uh, exactly like exactly like a guy from Iowa. <laughs> yeah, I see. Oh yeah, I forgot Jeff Fulmer is from Iowa. I forgot about that. Yeah, I forgot. I totally forgot he's a fellow Iowan. Um, and here's, here's a question I, I really want to ask. Um, and you can take as much time as you want to think about it because it's going to be kind of a, a very heavy uh, question. So, I, so, you've been doing this for how, how long? Have you been an MMA fighter? Like in, in, in amount of years? How long have you been active? Sorry, uh, John, you broke up. Um, what was your answer? So, professionally, I've been fighting for 13 years now. Okay. You had 13 years, and you were uh, with the UFC. You were at the, on the regional scene. You try, uh, tried out for PFL. You're now rising. You are now potentially going to become, going to get uh, the biggest title of your entire career. I'm sure that there's, I don't know if there's any moments in your life ever where you thought, you know, why you continue to, you know, get punched in the face for a living, uh, and all that stuff with the training, all the training, the weight cuts, 
just everything that comes, you know, with being a fighter, just not fighting the cage, but also just the mental aspect as well. What has kept you going on for so long and why you never decided? Because it's easy just to quit. It's easy for a fighter just to say, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm going to go get a desk job somewhere, work in a warehouse or something. Less, less uh, occupational habits to worry about. Well, how, how come... You, what has motivated you to keep on going and end up where you are now um, in your career? Uh, that's easy. I fucking love it, man. I love this. I love what I do. I love fighting. I love competing. I love, you know, being better than myself. You know, I love setting goals and breaking goals. You know, I love just evolving and constantly becoming a better fighter and a better person. You know, it's just that, that constant. You know, never-ending, constant improvement. That's kind of what I'm, I'm striving for, and that's exactly what the need is for me. You know, and that's exactly what, uh, I, that's exactly what I think um, everybody needs in their life. You know, it's something that they, they just strive to be better than themselves. And you know, I think the only way you get that is with passion. And you're gonna really enjoy what you do, and you, you gotta eat it, drink it, sleep it, live it. You know, that's, that's all you think about. Has there ever been a moment where you just thought, you know, why am I doing this? Why am I going? Why am I? Why am I getting punched in the face for a living? Was there ever any moments of doubt or just thinking about just hanging it up at some point, or was that never an option for you? Gosh, look, I mean, it's been so fucking hard. More than, I mean, you go through, the, you know, like evolution is hard. You know, you go through like, fuck, I don't know if I can do this, and then you start doing it, and then you're like, man, I don't know if I can make a living, and then like, oh fuck, start making a living, and then it's like. You know, that one when I got cut from the UFC, uh, you know, I was basically blacklisted. I couldn't fucking play on the regional circuit, you know, let alone anything with it, you know. And then it's like, you know, no big promotions want to use you right away because you know, they're probably building guys and they know they bring you in, they got to pay you good money, and then you're probably going to beat the guys that they've been trying to build. You know, so for a business model, that doesn't make sense. Well, then you're not going to find anybody to fight you on the regional circuit unless they're good, young, up and cover, and they're going to try to knock you off. And then even then, if you didn't buy it for, you know, $500. So, definitely, yeah, I mean, getting cut from the UFC was fucking, it was like, I didn't have a choice, you know? I knew it in my heart, my soul. I was like, you know what? I got a fucking, I'm a fucking world class fighter. I have a product that sells, and that can fucking, you know, that, that's. That, that's marketable anywhere, you know, and I knew about the fuck it, you know, you don't fuck with me, then I'm just going to keep fighting, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm going to do, and they're not going to take this dream from me, you know? Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and it was that belief that that's why I'm fighting for the title now, so, you just got to keep fucking keeping on, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I have kind of a bit of a question to ask, and it may be, it may be a little crazy, but, when it comes to athletes who transition over from multiple sports, I mean, for example, you had Ken Shamrock, who just recently made the transition back to professional wrestling after so many years of doing MMA, and obviously he got his start doing professional wrestling before doing MMA with the United Shoot Wrestling Federation, then Pancrase, the UFC, the WWF at the time, Pride. TNA, and obviously now, after a stint with Bellator, he's back in professional wrestling with Impact Wrestling, formerly TNA. 
in addition to Cain Velasquez and Tyson Fury making that transition to professional wrestling from boxing and MMA respectively, I mean, do you think it's hard for a fighter, you know, to come into professional wrestling or, I mean, do you, what am I trying to say? Do you think it's hard for a mixed martial artist or boxer to transition into a sport like professional wrestling and, you know, conquer that grueling schedule or, you know, is it easy for them because they know how to maneuver their way through a long training camp to prepare for that 340 day grind? No, man, I wouldn't say it's, it would be easy, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely a performance and it's an art that you have to learn, you know what I mean? I don't think, like, to be, you know, some of the best pro wrestlers or whatever, you know, there's, obviously you gotta be look physically fit, you gotta have a part, you know, and then you gotta fucking memorize all these routines and, you know, you gotta travel fucking everywhere. I mean, I don't think anybody can just pick it up and be like, yeah, I'm gonna do this, you know? Then you gotta work at it, just like anything you wanna be good at, but. Um, I think it's, I mean, it's definitely something that, uh, you know, if you got to talk to you, if you can work it, if you, if you have the, if you have the right things going for you, you know, I think the average, you know, marketable MMA fighter could, could do well at professional wrestling for sure. Mm-hmm. Understood. And... But could anybody do mm-hmm. No, no, I don't think anybody could do it. I see, which basically leads me to the next thing I want to ask. We talked last time we had a conversation about the KSI-Logan Paul fight, but now Logan Paul is basically bitching and moaning about the fact that he's now having second thoughts because he's been suffering from a bit of brain damage, you know, leading up to his fight with KSI in less than two weeks' time now. But when it comes down to your preferences, I mean, would you, if given a chance... Would you ever take the opportunity to fight in bare knuckle boxing or traditional Western boxing if the opportunity presented itself? Um, Mr. Case, you there? Hear me? Yeah, I can Hello? hear you, sir. Okay. Well, actually, uh, I. Shooting yourself in the foot, you know. Mm-hmm. 
you're you're making you're making your career, you know, whether it's longevity on your career or it's like now you're losing fights because you keep getting cut. Mm-hmm. So you know, and just not uh, smart. Mm-hmm. And the crazy thing I want to oh. ask is, and I know that Andrew, you want to ask a few more questions before we close things out. But when it comes to, you know, taking care of the head, obviously over the last four months, there have been four professional boxers that have died due to blunt force trauma sustained in about the most recent was Patrick day back a couple of weeks ago in Chicago. But what do you think that all combat sports can learn you know, from these four passings about, you know, safety to the head, because you don't want to be walking around later in life dealing with CTE. Yeah, I mean, fucking, it's, it's, it's a real scary thing, but it's a very real thing for any combat sport. You know, anytime you take a blow to the head, you're, you're, you're kind of fucking flirting with disaster, you know, whether it's immediate or, you know, in the, in the future and down the road, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, it just it forces us to fight, you know, it just forces us to realize, you know, this is a fucking game we're playing. You know, it's literally could be life or death, you know. And, uh, you know, just remember that and, you know, yeah, I love to fight and, you know, could imagine doing anything else, but, you know, I, I love my family. And I, love my, you know, I love my life a lot more than I love fighting. So, I think, you know, get your fucking money and get your fame, get your glory, set your goals. Know, get your dreams today and fucking get out because it ain't a fucking sport you want to dab on. Exactly. Mm. And anything where it involves you taking blows to the head, especially football and boxing and especially kickboxing and MMA, you definitely don't want to lose your life over something like that because the money ain't worth it. Yeah, well, more than what, you know, take a lot of blood in the fight. You get fucking you get brain damage and now you're you're constantly anxious all the time or in a way you could end up like Gerald McClellan and end up being permanently brain damaged I mean if you remember the Nigel Benn fight that Gerald McClellan had you remember that he took a significant amount of brain damage I mean a significant amount of punches thrown that nearly killed him. You probably remember that fight, right, Mr. Case? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think the worst guy, if you want to make it uh, uh, really uh, also the race MMA, is the case of Gary Goodridge, who, if you've seen the interviews now, he is clearly suffering from years of uh, major blows to the head that he took in his career. And he's even said that, like, he forgets, like, where he is at points. So, and those... He has a, I think he's, uh, he has a speech impediment or some sort of speech problems as well, uh, cognitive problems. So, yeah, um, it is, it is. Uh, on to a less serious topic, though, uh, Johnny, it is almost Halloween. And I've got two questions for you. One, do you have a Halloween costume picked out? Two, do you have a favorite Halloween movie since you are Johnny Hollywood Case? I want to know if you have any favorite Halloween movies. <laughs> Uh, my my feedback is that I'm going as Leatherface with uh, the Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. What about uh, any, any favorite scary movies, Halloween movies, anything of that sort? One 
one that's a classic for me, and it's always been a classic, is, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen or ever heard of the movie called Ernest Scared Stupid. I've yeah? heard about it, heard but I've never seen it before. Oh, man, it's a classic. It's in my favorite Halloween movie ever since I was two years old. So, Halloween tradition is that we watch that movie. Well, it's not anymore, I guess, traditional. I mean, Ernest Scared uh, scary, 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 but, I mean, it is a comedy. Is there any, like, just pure horror movies that you enjoy? So, like, uh, you know, like, a lot of them are really not scary anymore, but as far as, like, the one of the scary ones that I've seen lately is probably The Conjuring, I guess, but that, that's a pretty good one. Uh, and honestly, like, any of the Never Texas Dance Massacres are really good. Um, the Rob Zombie uh, Halloween movies are fucking good. Anything Rob Zombie makes is actually pretty good, too, so... Yeah, I like like House of Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects are really good. And um, he just had a new one come out. I mean, not that recently, but well, uh, yeah, uh, from Hell. Yeah, Three from Hell. I didn't see. I think it's still. I think it's still part of that whole Devil's Rejects. Um, yep, like that that whole series. Yeah. So yeah, I, I haven't seen that one either, but I, I've heard good things. So. Uh, Devil's Rejects. I see. I when that came out back in two thousand five. I saw it multiple times in theaters. I loved it so much. One of my favorite scenes, you will remember this scene, Johnny, um, when uh, Sid Hayes, Captain Spaulding, has to, uh, he uh, commandeers that lady's car due to clown business. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And when she starts laughing, thinks that he's not serious, she says, did I stutter, bitch? Yeah. <laughs> and then he goes, yeah. he goes into the car with the kid, and he, and he said, like, kid, you don't like, you like fucking clowns and all that stuff? And the kid's crying his eyes out because he just saw his mom get, like, punched out by, uh, by this crazy-ass, big-ass clown guy. Oh, such a great movie. Such a great movie. Uh, well, rest in peace, Sid Haig, who just died uh, about a few weeks ago, who played Captain Spalding as well. Um... But, um, Christian, do you have any more questions for Mr. Hollywood? Um, to be honest, I'm fresh out of questions. I mean, I don't know if you plan on doing the same ten questions that... Oh, no. Yet. No. Oh, wait. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Because um, I know you want to say uh, that for the next time we interview an English-speaking fighter, right? Yeah, probably, probably, yeah. Um, I guess, uh, I, I'm just curious to know, Johnny, are you uh, in training camp right now, uh, or are you taking a little break before going uh, into your full camp? No, I'm not, I'm not in camp right now. I'm, I'm training. I'm, I'm actually back in Iowa with uh, my kids, taking my kids uh, trick-or-treating and stuff and just being with my family. But um, there's a couple of gyms I train at while I'm here in Iowa, uh, just mainly working on wrestling and working on grappling a lot. Uh, and it was just kind of hitting the bag and stuff like that. But uh, actual camp, camp, I don't like fucking long camp because I'm training all the time. I don't really need a whole lot of time. So I usually like to focus on like six weeks. And that's, you know, even while like, so my last camp, I only had like five, I only did like five weeks of like a real camp. You know? So for me, you know, I've done this so fucking long and I enjoy it because I get any extra time to put wear it on your body. Fight, you know, isn't necessarily always the best situation, you know, when you're training in the camp and beating yourself up day and day and all, you know, you kind of, you tend to get, get your, your camp if you're, if you're fucking, you know, if you're, if you're going out too long, so it's definitely, it's definitely a nice, like, peak six weeks of, of time for me. Gotcha, gotcha. And you got about two months to, for the, before this fight, which is probably, you know, 
probably the most, uh, I don't know if that's like the most amount of time you've ever had for, to prepare for a fight. So you got enough time to train anyway. So it's not like the usual five or six weeks that I think that most MMA fighters tend to get uh, after the contract design or all that and all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Now I'm getting better working on skills. You know, it's like I can, I can go to the gym and get stronger, lift, get stronger, and not go to the gym. The burn can get little stuff, so kind of nice. Uh, with that, Johnny, I would like to uh, let you uh, plug all of your social media, your team, your sponsors, uh, anybody else you want to give a shout-out to. Um, follow yeah. Yeah, yeah, you guys can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Hollywood Case. You can follow my fan page on Facebook, Johnny Hollywood Case. I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like, I'm going um, as well as Arizona IV Medics, you guys, you guys are the best. Thank you for everything, you guys. Uh, you guys, you guys make this dream possible. Mm. And I'm always amazed by. See, like CBD is the is the future. Uh, like, uh, like what was it? Affliction was the was the uh, MMA uh, sponsors for fighters years and years ago. It seems like CBD is now going to be the future for sponsoring all these MMA fighters now. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean. There's so many good companies on CBD was just kind of coming out. It was like, you know, like you. and even then it was like, you know, some of it wasn't really like it was great quality. Now there seems like every week you hear about even more companies coming out with, you know, a new CBD line. So, um, cool. you know, it's, it's that, that kind of bad rap of cannabis we've had over the past years, you know, especially with athletes, you know, it's kind of good to see that kind of go away. I want to ask Johnny. So uh, apparently, uh, Nate Diaz initially they thought that he had uh, he had failed a, a, a USADA drug test. I speculate that it was probably had to do with weed or something. Here's to know: Do you think that weed should be taken uh, marijuana should be taken out of the USADA testing pool as a as a performance enhancement drug? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I don't know if it's more like it's banned because it's a performance enhancement drug. I think it's probably more expensive to be talking special athletes and all that. It's more like, you know, special athletes, you know, you got to be a good role model. You can't smoke weed and you can't fucking drink and you can't fucking like pussy, you know, you know, that shit like that. So I think it's more or less that and it's kind of got some buffs with professionals. But also, dude, it's, you know, it's such a great pain, you know, stress reliever, anti-inflammatory, you know, it's like, it's, a, it's, it's not a drug, it's a, it's a plant, so I think it should definitely be removed, and, you know, the batch stigma model that kind of come with it needs to be removed as well. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. And um, I also want, so you have, you potentially have, you, you know you'll be facing Topik Musayet, but you also will be potentially facing Luis Gustavo or Patricky Pitbull. Uh, I want to give you an opportunity to say whatever you want to or about them. If you want to do it individually to all three of them, you can. <laughs> or if you just want to say one thing to encapsulate your all three opponents or your opponent and your two potential opponents, whatever you want to do, the floor is yours. Say whatever you want to them or about them. That's already mine, boys. Train hard and just fucking put on a show for the fans. Great. Great. And uh, while it hasn't been confirmed, uh, you can see Ryzen 20 probably on Fight.tv outside hmm. of Japan. Uh, well, of course, it's right. probably not going to... I mean, it's not going to be confirmed until 
exactly three, maybe four weeks out from the show. But you can check it out on the Fight TV app, New Year's Eve morning, December 31st, unless they say otherwise, at 1 a.m. Eastern or December 30th, 10 p.m. Pacific. And that is from the world-famous Saitama Super Arena in Saitama City, Saitama Prefecture, Japan. And one more thing I want to ask, Mr. Case, and then we can wrap this all up. There's a, there's a big Bellator MMA show that's going to happen in Japan a couple of days before this Ryzen show. If you weren't fighting in the Ryzen Lightweight semifinals, in the Rising Lightweight Grand Prix semifinals, would you have basically wanted to stake your case for this Bellator Japan card? Yeah, for sure. I think after I win this uh, this Rising Lightweight title, I think I go to Bellator and win that title as well. I mean, I think they're uh, they're open to you know, working with each other and letting fighters you know cross promote shows. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Uh, is becoming champ champ a goal of yours? Fuck yeah. That's what it's about is being a champion. You know, and then after I make this move, then I'll reassess and accept the new goals, and I think that champ should be number one on the list. Great, great. And with that, Johnny, we always appreciate talking to you. We always appreciate you. You always take out time to speak to us. It's always appreciated. Uh, We're looking forward to you fighting, hopefully, uh, twice. Uh, on the wing side, uh, on December, on New Year's Eve. And, you know, best of luck uh, getting through Tofik and either Pitbull or Killer. Uh, and getting that lightweight title, it'll definitely be a crowning achievement in your career to see that happen. And hopefully uh, the, the best of all in, in, your, in all of the future fights that you have and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We wish you nothing but the best when it comes to your training camp. You know, traveling traveling graceful when you do get to Saitama, and we hope you bring the pain at the end of the year. <laughs> but other than that, but other than that, we thank you for joining us on this edition of the We Are Rising podcast. I don't know if you can actually. I mean, I don't know if we can make you a frequent guest, but hey, if given the chance, we can, I mean, if given the chance, and if you let us know, we can, I mean, we appreciate you being on, and if you let us know, we can work something out. (laughs) Thank you, Johnny. You have a great day now. Good luck in the fight coming up. Thank you, guys. Take care.